this is Laren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Vicki Benison, the creator of the immensely popular and endearing Pasta Grannies. What began in 2014 as a channel on YouTube filming grandmothers making pasta by hand in their Italian kitchens has since grown to a following of over 2 million over social media and her first book, Pasta Grannies, the official cookbook, which was the recipient of a James Beard Award. She is back with a second book, Pasta Grannies Comfort Cooking, where she shares traditional family recipes from Italy's best home cooks. I am so pleased to welcome Vicky to the podcast. Hi, Vicky. Hello, hello. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were you? I think the first thing I ever cooked was scones. Now, they're biscuits in America. <laughs> um, so some kind of biscuit. You know, it's, well, it's, they're foolproof, aren't they? <laughs> so that's what my mum thought I, I could do when I was about five. Okay, so I have to ask the important question. When you make scones or scones, as you say, um, do you enjoy it with a little bit of jam and clotted cream? And if so, which goes first? So I put the jam first because the cream, you know, you'll get, it gets all squidgy if you put the jam on top of it. But if I put butter on, that goes on first. You have to okay. press that in and have as much butter as possible because it's so delicious. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. So anyway, Vicky, I have to tell you, I mm. and I think I've mentioned part of this offline before we came on, I still remember the first time I stumbled upon my first Pasta Grannies video on YouTube. And I've always confessed, and I've mentioned this, you know, on my blog many times, <laughs> that I wish I had an Italian nonna to just share all her secrets. So when I saw your videos, I felt like they were made just for me. <laughs> so could you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself um, and your background in the world of food? And, and did you have a nonna figure in your life growing up? Well, I guess my nonna figure was in fact my mother, who's still alive, she's 90. Oh, wow. um, and she was a very keen cook. Um, and my granny was also a good cook, but um, on a different continent because I was born and brought up in Kenya. Um, so oh, wow. my mom followed my dad out to a remote part of Kenya and, and she, he was in, in agricultural research and development. And so they were in the middle of the African bush. And that kind of inspired resilience and interest in the food that you could grow, the food that you could buy, the cultures that were around my parents. So they started on the coast of Kenya and then up to, um, well, it was Neri, for example, where I went to primary school, which is the base of Mount Kenya. So, you know, food wasn't a given. It came from the market and that kind of thing. So mum was also taught by the parents of the, the girls that she taught how to cook Indian food, in fact, Goan food. Mm -hmm. So inspired that she set up, you know, these days supper clubs are popular where she had a, a Sunday lunch club. And so we had a lot of influence from other cultures growing up. And I think that's inspired her further. She was an early adopter of people like Elizabeth David and Jane Griggs and um, cookery writers that are popular in the UK. So that sort of um, fed through to both my brother and me. Um, you know, he, my, in my family, I'm the sous chef. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a good cook. You know, everyone's vying for the, the stove. Um, 
so yes, yeah, so that's that's early life with food. And so food was always the theme because when I was sent back to boarding school, and the food was always so terrible. You know, it was a list of meals that I wanted or meals that I had to eat. And of course, in those days, there wasn't you know email, so it had to be a blue airmail letter written home every week. I remember those. <laughs> Yeah, so so that's how writing, you know, that that whole thing of um, starting to write about food had very early origins in my mm-hmm. life. So I mean, I had a career in international development, but food was one of the sort of parallel things I was always writing about and exploring. So I mean, as you know, while continuing to work, that's when I was actually doing things like um, doing little culinary guides to Europe, Andalusia, Corfu, Mallorca. Um, so they were sort of books that I wrote while I was still had a day job. Right, right. <laughs> and so really the transition, the shift was after I got married and we'd bought a house in Italy, my husband and I bought a house in Italy and I was researching all the, as usual, the, you know, the local food traditions mm-hmm. and found that it was only older women who were making pasta by hand. And I was very intrigued by the cultural shift, you know, um, between mothers and their daughters and so I, I wanted to make a record of that. And the physicality of pasta making and that kind of rhythm that you get really doesn't lend itself to words um, mm. to film it. Even photography isn't good enough. And um, so that's how I came to pick up a camera <laughs> and not having ever done it before. And it was um, just you? You didn't have a crew well, or anybody? I didn't have a clue, really. <laughs> Well, I do have a husband who is, uh, works in television, so I was able to ask, um, and my um, son is uh, an editor, so I did have kind of resources in the family, but I was left to get on with it and learn the hard way. Uh, so in the beginning, it was, you know, it was like the supermarket manager's grandmother, you know, agreed to be filmed, and then another neighbor agreed to be filmed. So it sort of started from very local, local um, uh, women. So it was, was the... The supermarket manager was his, that was the first pasta granny that you featured? Yes, yes. so she was, Maria was the first um, grandmother that I recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, I invited her to my home, in fact, it wasn't her kitchen. And that was actually, the very first one wasn't actually filmed. We did photography. And that that experiment made me realize that actually it should be videoed rather than photographed. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I think then the photographer that I used on that had a granny in Liguria. So we went over there and did her. And you know, so it was all very much sort of immediate friends and family that I, that I filmed. And gradually it became a regular, a regular thing. I, I mean, YouTube has an algorithm and, and, you know, how you get seen is, is how, you know, it's sort of popping up in people's feeds. Mm-hmm. You have to do it very regularly. And, and since I still wanted to write a book eventually, you have to demonstrate an audience to a publisher. Um, and I thought, oh, I've got to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. So that's at that point, you know, he's um, sort of active research and doing it full time. I mean, you know, it's been a full time job. I mean, it's been a passion project, a complete obsession um, <laughs> for many, you know, for several years before it took off. I remember in Christmas 2017 being completely thrilled that I had 5,000 subscribers. So it took me three years to get 5,000 subscribers. 
and about five minutes to get to a million. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy how just a little boost in the algorithm can yeah. just change well, everything? It was business. It was insider business insider. Um, the, the, um, they sort of had a, um, they reposted one of my videos oh, and that okay. went viral. And then uh, more or less the same time, YouTube uh, made Pastor Granny's, uh, I was creator on the rise in America. Mm. So that kind of gave it, there was a kind of snowballing effect. And, and then suddenly it took off. I mean, I, I, you know, my husband will tell the story of, I came down um, out of my study and said, there's something going wrong with the, the website. There's something wrong with YouTube's algorithm. You know, there are these numbers, they're going up. It's like a tick tape, I've been hacked or something. And Billy was going, I don't think so. I think you've really got viewers and followers. And, and so it was like sort of whooshing up. It was, it was like a firework. Um, well, it was your success was bound to happen anyway, because to yeah. me, as you know, I have a special place in my heart for nonas and grannies in general. So, and I just yes. think that the wisdom that you're imparting through these videos is, you know, so important. And I love that you went into it thinking, okay, there's probably a book in here, but really we've got to share it on video. So I think the progression just made sense for you and, and for pasta grannies. Yes, I mean, I think when people ask me about, oh, I want to do my, you know, make my own stories, and uh, you know, that's great. Um, I always say, you know, look at look at your subject matter as a content. You know, think about what it is that it lends itself to. Is it a blog? Is it video? Is it actually you should go straight to a book? Mm -hmm. um, and I, for me, I think the book complements the um, the videos, and in fact, this time we've put QR codes onto each recipe so you can link back to the nonna concerned so you can watch her in action which I think is rather cool very cool um, but at the same time I think you don't need the video um, I think it's about sort of sitting with the words the tactile thing of actually turning pages and mm -hmm. you know this book is a lovely matte paper <laughs> the sort of detail that goes into a book that you wouldn't necessarily notice um, but you know the words affect the brain in a different way, I think, than just watching it. Um, I think it's like you, um, video is like fast food and and books are like, you know, a, a long, slow stew. You can actually sort of take time to think about it and, flavor, and taste the flavors. Um, so, so that's how I see it. That's such a beautiful analogy. Spot on. <laughs> Was it really difficult at all to find nonas to share their wisdom with you? Was, um, or were they like, Let's do it. <laughs> well, there's to an extent they're self-selecting because um, the ones that don't want to do it say no mm. to begin with. So these days I have Livia De Giovanni and uh, she is my granny finder. She's my wing woman um, and she lives in Faenza, which is in Romagna in Italy, quite close to Bologna. So it's her job. Um, it's more complicated. You actually work with families and of the grandmother. No, grandmothers don't really um, operate in isolation. Mm -hmm. um, so Olivia will go to a, um, a mayor, uh, you know, the head of the town council um, or the organizer of a food festival and say, you know, we're looking for women who can make this pasta. And they'll say, oh, you know, we know so-and-so. And so that's how it works. So sometimes, you know, it's, they say no, and then uh, and that's absolutely fine. Um, and other times we've got 
quite often, well, sometimes you get sort of families going, yeah, and then granny's going, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then sometimes grandmothers change their mind as you approach them through the front gate. You know, it's well, not always. That's only happened once. But <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's what happens. And, and so the ones that agree are adventurous, I think, you know, to agree to let complete strangers into your kitchen and welcome mm -hmm. them is, is quite brave. Um, and they really enjoy being the center of attention, actually, and actually being acknowledged for something that they've done. And, you know, if I say taken for granted, that's sort of slightly negative. But, I mean, you know, there's, it's what nonas do, nonne do, um, is make family meals and everybody appreciates it but somehow at the same time it's what is part of family life and therefore it's always going to happen and I think you know what what Nonna cooks at Sunday lunch is always fabulous everybody knows that in Italy mm -hmm. but what she'll be cooking in 20 years time is going to be very different from what is being cooked at the moment um, and so that was one of the initial impetuses for recording them. Yeah, I love that you're preserving it, not just for all of us, but especially for those families, because this mm -hmm. will be something that they'll have forever. Really? So speaking of preserving it in your book, Pasta yeah. Granny's Comfort Cooking, mm -hmm. I love, I well, first of all, I, I, I read cookbooks like their books, so I love reading through it. Um, and it really does transport you to Italy from the photos, of course, to the food. So how does this book continue from the previous one? So it expands a little bit. So the um, book two is actually a response to the pandemic. Um, oh, because okay. During the pandemic, we got a 60% increase in viewing figures. Everybody mm -hmm. was, it wasn't that everybody was rushing off and actually making pasta, though that happened. But people were finding comfort in the grandmothers. So they sort of, people would find it because of the pasta and stay because of the grannies. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I mean, you know, Dozens and dozens of people wrote to me saying how how um, pasta granny's kept them going. They they when they were feeling stressed or down or worried, they would tune in for an episode of pasta granny's. And so the recipes are a collection of those things which are crowd pleasing and comforting mm -hmm. and easy to do. So um, well, there are one or two that aren't, but that's. <laughs> They're projects, but you can still do them. Mm -hmm. um, like Casatelli, uh, you know, need to, you need to sort of master the art of pleating a, a, a ravioli. But if you get your friends around, you only have to do two or three <laughs> yeah. to help you do it. Um, yeah, so, so um, you know, the first book was about trying to find as many different, uh, trying to sort of condense as many different pasta shapes from all over Italy. This book is more about everybody loves lasagna, so let's put four recipes of lasagna, different mm -hmm. ones, into the book. And there is, um, you know, so pasta isn't the only carbohydrate. Um, in northern Italy, there also, um, there's also rice. Yes. Um, so that's why there are rice recipes and pies um, and pizza and one or two desserts. Yeah, it rounds it out really lovely in a lovely way. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate about the pasta granny's food is that it's lovingly made from scratch. And I think for time-pressed Americans, th this might feel intimidating, but how complicated is it really? And, and what can we do to make it, well, to maybe reframe our thoughts around that? Mm. 
Um, so I think everybody's um, time short. Um, so you, I, I wouldn't suggest that you make pasta from scratch on a daily basis. You can swap out and have a packet of pasta mm. and try and make it a better quality packet of pasta because, uh, you know, that makes it a sort of small but savoury difference to the end result. And I think if, uh, you know, as long as you're cooking from scratch several times a week, that is a great thing to aim for. Um, it depends on whether you enjoy the process. For me, pasta making, you have to enjoy the process. Yeah, there's a very sort of zen thing around it. Mm -hmm. And there are pasta dishes. I mean, that, that it's very easy to achieve a good level of competence in pasta making. It's not like pastry. There's not a lot of chemistry involved. Um, so, you know, pick a, pick a pasta which you think is... Well, as, say, for example, gnocchi lunghi, which is like is just another name for peachy. In other words, a hand-rolled spaghetti. You know, five-year-olds can do that. In fact, get your five-year-olds to join in and help. Um, they'll enjoy it. So you make these little worms. And, and that's it, pasta worms. Yeah. That's lunch. Um, so that's, that's kind of like that doesn't need any skill level. It just requires enthusiasm. And I think, you know, start with something like that and then and then sort of, one step at a time, sort of decide that, you, you know, you can maybe manage a spoiler. If you think you're, um, you know, you use your gadgets on your on your KitchenAid or whatever it is to sort of make it if necessary. I personally think spoiler is the, the pasta sheet. It's kind of nicer to do it by hand when it's wood on wood and you get a better texture and stuff. But, you know, if, if, that's, if you feel that's a bit intimidating, start with, you know, your, your pasta making machine, that's mm -hmm. fine. The, the difference is minimal. Um, a pasta machine will make a smoother sfoglia, but it'll taste the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you travel around Italy, is there yeah. anything that stands out to you when it comes to regional cooking? Well, I mean, it, it's so regional, it becomes local. I mean, you know, you can go from one village to the next and, and the name changes and the recipe changes. And um, it's extraordinary how, how, you know, it's just so, everyone's so focused on what, they, what is around them in terms of, you know, the food that they can grow. Um, and so people in Liguria, aren't, you know, they they're not remotely interested in what people in Calabria can grow or cook because, you know, the, the, they just, uh, it's like, Ooh, why would you bother? I mean, I've got what mm -hmm. I have, what I need here. <laughs> right. Right. It's interesting. So, so, and it's and much more, I think, you know, what it strikes me coming over to America is I think whole villages kind of translocated over from Italy to America and they took their cooking with them. And therefore you've actually got something from, Italian American cooking it's like Italians met the land of plenty and, um, and so this wonderful new cuisine has evolved but it's actually from certain bits of Italy it's not something that's it doesn't represent what all Italy actually cooks um, yes. so you know there's um, I think a lot of people from sort of Campania south of Naples have come to America I'm, I've just been in New York so mm -hmm. it's it's um so you're, you're getting this kind of southern Italian cuisine that has kind of morphed, whereas there is all this other, all these other regions that didn't go straight to America. They went up to Switzerland or they went to Australia or, or wherever it was. 
So they have a slightly different twist. And maybe, I mean, here in San Francisco, there's a different twist on it as well. I don't know. Yeah. I um, hope, hope I get to find out. But. Yeah, you have to come. Well, you're, uh, you're going to be in Italy. I'm Italy. at the moment. Yeah. Okay. We should have done this in person. <laughs> oh, really? You were on the corner? Great. No, no, not too far. But, you know, just a, a nice drive. But okay. no, but it's so true. It's interesting how that the regional, you know, styles have, you know, spread and then morphed and it just reminds me because I grew up in a very Italian-American neighborhood in New York and Mm -hmm. so a lot of it a lot of Sicilian cuisine Mm -hmm. you know being developed there so okay so we're in the thick of the holidays yes what are the nonas going to cook for Christmas what should we cook from the from the book Okay, so um, the cassatelle is one I mentioned earlier. It's this kind of uh, corn, uh, wheat ear-shaped, teardrop almost, shaped pasta. And then that's kind of cooked in the fish broth. So that's something that would happen in the Trapani area of Sicily. It's kind of a sweetened, lemony, it's very unusual, um, a filling. So that, that would be one. Um, lasagna is always a popular one. So it depends where in Italy your nonna is. But mm-hmm. so... Book one had the classic alla bolognese, the, 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 the lasagna from Bologna, which is, you know, classic meat ragu and made with green dough and, and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> and the variation on that is Maria's pork and sage lasagna. So that's without beef. So that's mm-hmm. a very nice one. Um, Vinci's grass is from Marche, where I have a home. And that's a very sophisticated, delicious lasagna with prosciutto and porcini. And that's absolutely yummy. Oh, that sounds so good. So that's, that's a good one to do. So, yeah, so Christmas, I mean, so all the capoletti, um, you know, anything that involves a little bit more labor um, and, and uh, women and their families will sort of start prepping that a couple of weeks before and, freezing um, their, their pasta. pasta. Fresh pasta lends itself to being frozen very well. You cook it from frozen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so those are the, some of the examples. So quick question on that. So they prefer to freeze their pasta if they make it and not, and not dry it? So durum wheat pasta is a durum wheat flour pasta. You can dry that very easily. Egg dough pasta, which is usually made with soft wheat flour, Mm-hmm. Um, it's more difficult to dry, um, a tendency to crack. All right. And so it's easier. You can do it, but it's easier to put it in the freezer. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't leave it in the fridge for several days. Then it kind of oxidizes. It looks slightly unappetizing gray. It tastes the same. Mm-hmm. But of course, it starts sticking if you're not careful. Um, so mm-hmm. freezing is a much better option. Oh. Okay, so I have to ask, do you keep in touch with all your grannies? Do you ever have reunions? Yes. Well, I mean, you won't get grannies moving from one grandmother or region to another. Um, oh, we yeah. do We do keep in touch. So Ida, for example, who's appeared in both books, she's from Piedmont, and she's made the bounette chocolate pudding in book two. Oh, that looks um, amazing. We're planning to go and see her next month, in fact. Um, oh. I don't know if she's still making pasta, but we're definitely going to be dropping in on her. Um, and Livia... The, my lovely granny finder. I mean, she, I mean, her phone is like a Rolodex. <laughs> it's bulging full of uh, grandmothers and their families uh, who you know, uh, all have their opinions on everything. So, yeah. <laughs> so fun. How old was or is the oldest pasta granny you've ever featured? 102, oh. Rosina. Mm. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, and the youngest is 44, was 44 at the time of filming. I think she might now be about 50, but a genuine oh, wow. granny, yes. So several are kind of great, great grannies. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think is the secret to keeping the grannies young and active? Yes, it's an interesting one. That the um, So people talk about the Mediterranean diet, but actually it's the Mediterranean lifestyle. Um, mm -hmm. So what keeps the grandmothers young is never sitting down, never giving up work. So they're active throughout their lives. I mean, it doesn't mean going to the gym or, or you know, exercising like that. It's just being on your feet, running around every day, making pasta from, from scratch. I mean, that's part of it. Um, the food, you know, the people say it's olive oil that you should be eating. Actually, a lot of our grandmothers used lard <clears throat> as, as their fat in, in their youth. And so it's less the fat, but more the moderation Mm -hmm. um, of the fat that you use and actually a sort of frugality of lifestyle they, they don't overeat you know every, nothing is excluded but they don't overindulge and so that's another aspect and the third most important one is um, that they remain connected with their family they often live in a separate apartment within the same building for example and very com connected to their community and to their church so they're very social all their lives. So that's the other main thing. And, uh, and mostly the, for the very elderly, they've never moved. <laughs> they've never had the trauma of moving. <laughs> they're still in the house that they actually was, were born in. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah. Do you think there's going to be a next generation of pasta grannies? I know you've alluded to the fact that 20 years from now, it's going to be different, but... Perhaps. Yes, I think, um, so what's happened is, uh, um, so the daughters of the women that we film and granddaughters, you know, they sort of couldn't leave the kitchen quick enough, if you like. I mean, everybody went out to work. And so it's their children that have discovered that you can actually do both, that you can make pasta and you can have a career. Uh, what that means is that Pasta making is a choice, it's a hobby, and it might happen, you know, every weekend or something like that. So that kind of Zen level of mastery is will become much less common. And I think for people who do go and become really, really good at pasta making, they will make it their profession so that you will have people in restaurants, for example, mm -hmm. who can make that, that fantastic, that level of pasta um, technique. Um, achieve that level of um, pasta making technique so it, it's changing dramatically it's no longer this sort of domestic thing that just women had to do were expected to do it, it, that's that's going to, that has stopped pretty much mm. well I think that what you're doing is wonderful and that you're capturing this because Absolutely. I always say I have the best job in the world you do I would love to come help you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Well, Vicky, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I have a few closing questions before yes. I let you go. What's something that you cook when you're too tired to cook, like an emergency dinner? Oh, for pasta, I do this thing um, with chickpeas, garlic, and rosemary. Just kind of serve that up, Ma mash up half the um, chickpeas oh. so it's more of a sauce and then chuck it in with the pasta, whatever pasta I've got. So that's you know, supper in 10 minutes. Oh, sounds so simple and so, delicious. Yep. And chili, a little bit of pepperoncino goes into mm. it as well. And cheese if you want it, but if there's no cheese, it's fine as a, as a, a vegan thing. Yeah. And that actually comes, I think every region of Italy has its own pasta and pulse combination. So 
I can't remember where I found that one, first of all, but it's it's my go-to. <laughs> it sounds great. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? Oh, from the books? From anything. It could be your own personal life, too. Mm. Oh, that's one. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a single, single most, I have memories of food that I've not cooked. You know, for example, being on the beach in Thailand with my dad and, ha and having uh, waiters kind of pedal out um, beautiful uh, crab soup from the beachside kitchen out to a pier at the end. And, you know, that's just, I mean, Thai food cooked to order in the middle of nowhere um, was um, one of those very memorable meals. I remember that. Yes, my gosh. That sounds it's now, so it's now, special. Where, where we, so, you know, being with my dad, who was very, you know, very dear to me as well. So that's one of the sort of great memories. And I think every time I kind of cook a, um, a stewed, like ratatouille, if you like, any kind of mixed vegetable stew, it reminds me of my grandmother. Hmm. Um, because although... You know, I've got all the techniques. I fry all the vegetables all separately and stuff. I can never actually capture the flavor that my grandmother did. Um, she, I don't know what she did. She never told me, but uh, her, her, her ratatouille, her version uh, was completely different. I don't hmm. know. It's that extra love. <laughs> uh, yes. Or maybe it's just that she didn't like garlic or something. I couldn't maybe. see. It was... It, it was um, yeah. So it's those, those things. It's, it's funny, food and memory. <laughs> I know. I love, I love how they're so connected. Yes. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? I think I'm probably erring on the side of messy, though I do try and clear up as I go along. <laughs> I, we sound the same. Yes. And <laughs> what's a good kitchen tip that you can share that you've, that you've learned through the years? Good kitchen, um, good kitchen tip. Um, have the sink close to your dishwasher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, start at the very, and make sure you've kind of got a kitchen that you want to begin with and then everything becomes um, much easier. You don't need, you don't need lots of gadgets either. You just need a lot of clear space. Yes. So as long as you've got, oh, and also keep your knives sharpened. <laughs> I could not agree more. It's so important. I'm obsessed. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, every week I try to share five little things, something that made me smile. Like, for example, a pasta granny's video. Mm -hmm. Is there something good that you experienced this week that made you smile? Oh, you've, I've just had a week in New York. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like sort of a full-on yeah. um, psychedelic, wow, um, about everything. Um, so actually, I think I walked down here to the Hardy Grant offices this morning. Oh, yesterday evening, sorry, and, and um, yesterday evening and was just amazed by all the flowers that are still in bloom here in Berkeley. So that's one of the things I always enjoy, sunlight, having got off a plane and, and uh, the beautiful light that you have here in the Bay Area. Oh, gosh. Well, it's not quite the light, like the light in Italy. <laughs> it's true. It's um, true. But it's still like you kind of think, oh, you know, this is, a, this is a really beautiful part of the world. It is. It is. Well, welcome to the area. Um, have so much fun while you're here. And, oh, I'm going to. Yes. Yes. And thank you for spending time with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. 
I don't know about you, but I feel the urge to spend time with a granny today. It really makes me miss my own grandmother and wish I had spent more time watching her cook when I was little. Thank you again to Vicky for joining us today. I hope you check out Pasta Granny's Comfort Cooking and keep those traditions alive in your own kitchen. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.